What is the biggest problem affecting your PDR business? What is the one thing holding you back from taking the next step? What do you need to change to get the business growth you want? All these questions have the same answer. It's your mindset. My name is Corey Kleinfeld, and this is the PDR Coach Podcast, where I coach you on mindset around yourself and your PDR business. Now let's get started. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Gabrielle and Brian Boucher. What's going on, guys? How you doing, man? Hey. I'm great. I'm very grateful that you guys came on to hear. Um, my story goes back a little bit further. I don't actually think I've ever said this on my podcast, but this is not my first podcast. So I've had a few people reach out to me and be like, man, you're really good at interviewing people and doing this. I've had other podcasts. I've created things and screwed them up or didn't work right and started them again. Gabrielle was a pod, was a uh, interviewee on one of my older podcasts called the Millennial Experiment, right? So if you look up, type in millennial, type in how to train a millennial, how to hire a millennial, something like that, Gabrielle and Brian Boucher will come up. They've been in that space for a long time. That's how we met. I'm really glad you guys came back on this podcast to provide value for my little niche of the PDR space. But just for the first question, like, how did you kind of get into the whole like, you know, the millennial expert space. Yeah. And it's one of those things that people will often come up to me when I'm speaking at a conference or doing a training or something. And people are like, how in the world does someone become a millennial expert? So it's definitely not something that you go to school for. Actually, I majored in my undergrad in politics and religion. So like the two things that you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. I was like, let's yeah. do both of Perfect those for the together yeah. mm-hmm. actually solid, at the yeah. same time. So I definitely didn't have the education or credentials of becoming a millennial expert. For me, my kind of aha moment came when I kept going to conferences and events and everyone kept talking about millennials and none of them were millennials. And I oftentimes tell people that if you're in a niche, if you're in an area and you see something and it bothers you, you're like, why is no one fixing that? Why is no one doing something about that? There's a reason that you see that you see it and other people don't. So it's like when you go to the airport and there's that really annoying lady who always says, if you see something, say something. That's the same kind of thing when it comes to revealing what it is that you're supposed to do. There's a reason that you're concerned about it and your neighbor, your friend, your partner isn't concerned about it. And that's really where it started for me. There was just this frustration that I felt like our generation was getting gypped, that everyone was saying we're lazy, annoying, fill in the blank of all of the words when it came to millennials. And so it really started this research process for me where I really decided I wanted to be an expert um, because there's really only two types of experts. There's an experiential expert. So Mm -hmm. like I'm an expert in hiking Kilimanjaro because I hiked Kilimanjaro. This is an example. I didn't actually do that. She hasn't done that. I have not actually do that. She doesn't look like the hiking type. This this would be a different (laughs) podcast if that was the case. Okay. And yes, you're right. I do not look like I've ever hiked. Imagine the selfie you could take at the top though. I mean, that's very true. That would be the right way to motivate her to do it. I know. I know. I follow her. I know what's up. Yeah, I know. Plenty of selfies to go around. But the second type of of expert is, is an empirical expert. So someone who's actually collected enough information saying all these other people say this, here's what they all have in common. So I had the experience certainly of being a millennial and coming into the workplace. So there was some minimal expertise there, but I really started to pick up the pace on my empirical expertise, recognizing that the way I was going to be able to really help people was Mm. researching as much as I could, knowing more about it than anybody else 
ourselves and coming up with solutions that were more practical, more usable, more approachable than anybody else in my niche. Yeah. I mean, Gabrielle just said that way better than I ever have about why I started this freaking podcast, (laughs) to be perfectly honest with you, because I looked around and I'm like, where is it? Like, oh, someone else needs to do that. And it's like, hold on. Like, why aren't I, why, why aren't I the one supposed to do that? Like I had the thought, the thought was put there for a reason, energy, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. It was put there. Like, maybe I'm the one that needs to do that. Right. And so like, okay, let's do it. You know? Um, So you've in that process have written, and I don't know exactly how this goes. If you or Brian partnership, not partner, you have the same, sometimes wrote books together, didn't write books together, but in that process, you wrote several books and tried to start gaining traction in that you know, in getting influence in that key word, essentially the, the millennial, right? So what was, what did you like, what experience did you learn through that process? Where did you grow? Where'd you fail? Either one of you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think a big part of it is learning how to work with your partner Yeah, sure. because that's something that so many people want to do. It mm-hmm. sounds really great to be able to start something with your spouse. Like, yeah, yeah you know, they're my, my partner in life. I want to start a business with them. Yeah. And it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. it is. No problems, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It takes a whole different approach when it comes mm-hmm. to that level of, of partnership. Cause Brian had a company when we first got yep. married and Wonderful. I had my company, the millennial solution. And then we came together and actually decided About three or four years ago, we decided to work together full time. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so you guys separate, you're doing millennial solution, Brian, you can tell me what you're doing in a second. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. you got together, started dating, got married or whatever, but there was two separate companies. And now you're like, do we yep. run two separate companies or we start one together? Oh, that's interesting. Exactly. I didn't know that. What yep. was your company yeah. called, Brian? Yeah. So I had a company called the 60 day solutions and the Mm. primary course offering through that was to teach people how to become self-published authors. And, um, that was my first company. In fact, I started it the, uh, week before the week we got married, I was doing, when we were moving our stuff into our apartment, I was doing my first sales calls in the U-Haul truck in, in the cab of the U-Haul truck while she was driving it's like, and it's just really windy outside. Yeah, and I'm yeah, like driving, trying to not, not exactly a Good quiet. Good job, honey. <laughs> yeah, not exactly a quiet oh, yeah. uh, cab uh, for it's sales so calls. But that's where that started. And yeah. then about four years, almost four years ago now, yeah. three, year, three and a half years ago now, mm-hmm. we realized that there was such overlap in our skill sets, expertise, sure. um, our purpose, that we decided to join forces mm-hmm. uh, and then leverage everything we've got together. Yeah, which that's that awesome. made it sound a lot easier than it actually oh, no, no, no. was because it was not that you have easy. two different yeah. egos i think yeah. you have two different visions you have i mean i was an independent female business owner brian yeah, was an right. independent male business owner so right. that alone coming together yeah. of just even how we ran our businesses where i was mostly referral based brian was mostly digitally based mm-hmm. and so it really was this marriage no pun intended of these two different approaches coming together to say how are we going to run a company together right and the only way that we were able to get over as quick as we were was we became so obsessed with helping the people we wanted to help Mm -hmm. that we couldn't really bicker about who wanted to do what and preferences and whatever it all had to do with what's working and how do we help as many people as we want to help and that really i think adjusted our mindset quickly um but yeah it's definitely something that i think sounds a lot easier than actually piece of piece of side advice if your relationship has issues and you start a business Mm -hmm. together it'll it'll just make a magnify yeah and if your relationship didn't have any issues it will after that (laughs) like it's not like it gets better it's not getting better well this is this is interesting because there's a lot of probably there's a lot of pdr guys who um 
you know, are in business with their, their significant other, you know, some, some, I know a couple that are like the wife uh, actually fixes dents. Obviously we're predominantly male industry being, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, hands-on or whatever, predominantly male, some, some wives that are fixing dents. And then a lot of wives that are like running the business on the back end. So that's actually decent, decent, uh, decent uh, advice there to pay attention to. Okay. One tip before we move on to the next thing, before you start, what is the one tip? Do you lay ground rules of like who does what? Like you're entering into a partnership with somebody? Like one yeah. tip for people oh, doing that. For yeah. Sure. I mean, what yeah. we did when we first started working together about actually yeah. after six months of, of having some arguments mm-hmm. in the business as to who does what, the best thing to do is to drop the classic board table, you know, chief mm-hmm. marketing officer, CEO, sure, COO, sure. all the positions that yeah. a business needs to have. And if you only got two people, what you need to do is assign the two people to all the chairs yeah. and to make sure that you create ownership in yeah. parts of the business. Cause what happens if you don't do that, each business partner expects the other business partner to do everything sure. they're doing and likewise for the other person. And so yeah. there's, it's kind of like being in a household together and you're like, well, why don't you do dishes? Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought we talked about that. You were going to do the dishes yeah. and I would do the laundry. Yeah. If you don't have the conversation about ownership in the business too, you're going to have natural tension because there's not clarity of ownership. So that's the one big tip. Yeah. And, and also too, always be working to increase your emotional intelligence and awareness uh, and create boundaries around what's our personal like marital marriage time and what's business time and putting to the best of your ability, put yeah. some boundaries around that too. Yeah. I mean, my parents ran a business. They ran a couple of businesses Mine together too. Actually growing up. And so that made me not want to start a business with Brian. I <laughs> sure. said, I remember what that was like being on family vacation at Disney world. Like this mm-hmm. is so great family. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, did you call Bob back? Yeah, I mean, like, everything was a business conversation, every dinner meeting, all of it was. And so I, I was hesitant to, but again, when it really started to make the most sense for our business and our own individual purposes, yeah. but I'd say too, just even setting expectations has been really great too and recognizing what the other person is brilliant at and affirming them in that like Brian is really good at the digital space he's really good he sees things differently and he does the same thing for me so when you expect the other person to see the the world that you the way that you see it you're going to get frustrated but if you praise them and support them in their brilliance you really ease a lot ease a lot of the the tension and that naturally comes from working with your partner Dude, that's fantastic. And I see that with you guys now. Um, and that's really cool to see. So to, to move on. So you guys, you guys have said purpose probably three or four times and read, I had the intro. So people were like, what is the purpose? Purpose. Everyone talks about purpose, right? What's your purpose in life? What's the purpose of humans? What's the purpose of debt repair? What's any of this, right? What's the whole point? So you, you have this whole journey come from separate areas coming together, right. To this marriage of in actuality and in your business and came up with this, idea that you have now, this purpose factor, this book, where did that start? Was that something you guys struggled with? Talk about the origin story behind the purpose factor. Yeah. yeah I mean, from, it actually started with me about six and a half years ago, nearly mm. seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, I had just been laid off from my dream job. I started out as a national journalist covering government corruption and terrorism. I had also just gone oh, through a divorce. Amazing. Yeah, I know it, it was such a cool job. Well, it, it wasn't such a cool job when I got laid off. So I got yeah. laid off. And I also went through a divorce and my divorce was final the same month that I was laid off. And it was just total trough moment. And also (laughs) for me personally, I had this undealt with childhood sexual trauma that happened to me when I was Mm -hmm. about seven years old. And so all of the pressure from that was creating this instance in which I needed to discover my purpose. And I didn't, I wasn't thinking like that back then. I had mentors and friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had mentors and friends telling me, find your purpose, find your purpose, but they didn't share with me how. Yeah. (laughs) And for me being a journalist, 
have a law degree, research type, I started asking three questions. Are there parts to purpose? Can it be discovered in a sequence, something logical? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then third, um, not only that, can it be practically applied to my career, my entrepreneurship in a way that has a return on investment, increase in fulfillment? And so that's where this started. Now, I was just trying to get back to television. My dream was to go back to national broadcasting. That was the goal. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I saw what I had after months of initial research on those three questions, that's when I realized, you know, we could help a lot of people. And then when we would join forces in business together, what we ended up doing is developing a very robust process whereby we take an individual through that. Hence the book, hence everything we do on stage and digital programs. Yeah. So you're essentially, you have the book that's just been released recently and people, I told you like, uh, maybe we could touch on that for a second, getting endorsements from, from big names. Sure. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So you have that book and, and you have the coaching program, right? And you're helping people find their purpose. Like you said before, focusing in on, on a niche, right? On an area where you can have influence, um, right? And so when you brought that idea six and a half years ago, down moment, that's when people always ask, like, what's the point? Maybe that's more of a question. Now, what's, what's my purpose? What's like, what am I doing? Where am I supposed to yeah. go? How do I move forward? What do I do next? Right. Um, when you brought that idea, right. And you said it was sitting there for six and a half years. Um, and you brought it with what Gabrielle was doing. Did you guys work on that together? Did she change anything or move it? Or how did that work? The process that we yeah. take people through, yeah. we worked on together. Nice. Um, and it really just started very humble, very simple. I mean, yeah. we would bring people over for three to six hours in our home, take yeah. them through this entire life-changing experience. Then we would rent out entire mansions and take eight to 15 people away and mm-hmm. have these really life-changing weekends where we took people through the process. So it's it's been six years of active development on a process oh, nice. okay. by what cool. you see in the book, but also our programs. And I think the process is on probably its 15th iteration now yeah. in terms of its version. So it's very, very effective now because it's been tested and tested and tested. Yeah. And that was the whole goal was to create the most practical purpose discovery process ever. That was the goal. That was the number one goal. Yeah. And, and that kind of combination actually came out really interestingly where I remember I was speaking for, it was one of our fortune 500 clients and I was like six hours of training or something. And Brian had just come along with me and I don't know. We had just started working together. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm hungry, I become hangry. Hangry. So I was like, mama needs a snack. I was like, it's been five hours. Um, I said, Hey Brian, can you just like take over for 30 minutes or so? I'm going to head out. I'm going to go get a snack. I'll come back in. Yeah. And so Brian's like, great. I get to talk about purpose. I didn't tell him anything. I used to do this to him all the time. Like, Hey, Brian's going to talk about such and such. So I could go, you know, get a break somewhere. And I come back in and all these executives are crying. I was like, what in the world did you do to them? You broke up. You broke up. Well, well, going back a little bit, I had come to her and I said, I think in the business world and the leadership world that the discovery of purpose has a financial ROI. That was my, my position. And she's like, mm. no, I don't think it does. Yes, it does. I'm a numbers yeah, girl. So, I was like, yes, I don't see it. Yeah. I don't really it's see it. It's got a financial ROI. Which I, I readily admit it now. And, yeah, and yeah. he came to me and, and said, you know, hey, I think we should keep doing this. Because after that day, it was really powerful. We talk about origin story. I think we'll yeah. talk probably a little bit further yeah, about this will. here, which is what you, the most challenging thing you've had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And helping these executives connect what they've overcome to what they do for a living. It was like this aha moment happened. It was so incredibly powerful. And, and the ROI that Brian was saying is, and this is me saying after, right? After the fact is that if you find your purpose and your natural advantage and your acquired skills, and you're living in that within the organization or within your own business or whatever, 
you're more likely to bring value to the world, which brings value back to you, money back right. to you. And that was 100%. your position. That's it. Yeah. You just yeah. had to prove that's it. that's what happens. Yeah. yeah. I just had to yeah. prove it. I mean, now, I mean, I've seen financial advisors go from making hundred K a year to yeah. pushing 700 K a year in a year yeah. from Doing discovery the of their purpose. So that, because what purpose does is it taps into intrinsic motivation. That's what it does. I mean, there's yeah. a relationship between purpose and motivation. If sure. you don't know your purpose, you're not motivated. If you know your purpose, you're motivated. And with motivation comes more productivity and more sales. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, dude. I love that. And so this is a theme of your life, right? The reiteration, right? I know you started millennial in the millennial space and wrote a couple different books there before this purpose factor came out. Brian, you've done a couple things, had to almost reinvent yourself after, you know, lose the job, lose the wife, lose all that stuff, dealing yep. with like specific childhood trauma, which you talk more about in the book, which is like, that's big stuff to just say out loud. So kudos to you on that. Yeah. Um, reiterating, reiterating everything, right? And And just like, for, for guys that I talk to in our industry and coaching and everything, it's like, sometimes you just have to start going down the, the path that you think is right. You don't know what the end goal is going to be. Like you didn't know six years ago that this purpose factor was going to be the thing that was, you know, made the biggest difference for you guys. Mm-hmm. Right. But you had to start, you had to start and write this book and try this thing and do these speeches and then meet each other. And this all comes together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I would just encourage everybody to, to just recognize that, that sometimes it's like, maybe you, you just have to move in a direction. And then as you, it's like uh, driving in the fog, right? You just got to go a couple feet ahead of you until you get to your destination. I think it's awesome. Just wanted to point that out. How do we, because this is the big part, this is like where you guys excel, right? We're talking about purpose. How do we figure that out? What's your formula? Your fifteenth iteration formula? I want to know. <laughs> what is it? How and everybody that's listening, how do we go through? Besides reading the book, which everyone's yeah. going to do, talk through it out of that a little bit, and we'll ask some questions. Yeah. So we developed this process of purpose discovery, very much what Brian said, because we were so Mm -hmm. frustrated. I mean, in my twenties, everyone just kept telling me, find your purpose, find your purpose, which is really great advice to give someone, but really sucky advice to get because you don't know what they're talking about. So a lot of times I think find your purpose, they just mean get a job. Or when they say find your purpose, they mean just get married. They're not really talking about really doing the deep work of understanding what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? How am I uniquely wired? And what actually fulfills me? Not just makes me happy. Because I think as a society, we're obsessed with happiness, which is so situational. Like I'm happy because someone, you know, let me into traffic and I'm unhappy because they cut me off. It happens just (laughs) like that. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But what we're talking about is fulfillment, which is really the result of using what you have inside of you to help other people. Mm-hmm. And we define purpose mm-hmm. as what you have inside of you to help others. So yeah. fulfillment is on the right-hand side of that. Is that is the end result. That is the, the um, benefit that you receive of actively using your purpose and really being uh, intentional about it. So the discovery process of purpose is really simple. There's only four steps. So the first we talk about natural advantage. Mm-hmm. So your natural advantage is the role that you tend to play. So you can tend to be the one who's always teaching someone. You can be the one who's always starting things. You can be the one who's always selling other people. In the book, we have five different types under each of these four different steps to help you be able to articulate and identify some Mm -hmm. key characteristic traits. So your natural advantage is super important because you're going to find yourself in jobs, relationships, um, businesses, where you're in your natural advantage and you like doing that. There's a reason that 
think of five different salespeople and they all have different natural advantages. If you're going to, if you're the recruiter, which is like the natural salesperson, you're going well, to sell. One, very one of them is a technician, right? Uh, that craftsman, the craftsman, which the is craftsman. an acquired yep. skill. Yeah. Which, like, which is something that we do with your industry, dude. Like yeah. these are craftsmen here. Like there's so many people that are so good at what they do in the, in this business like that. I can see that being a large percentage of people listening are craftsmen. Um, anyway, so if you can, if you can use that example and talk about maybe someone you have in the past, like like identifying if you could have the natural advantage of craftsmen and go through that, that'd be super cool. I think for people. I mean, these are, these are craftsmen are people who do things with their hands or their body. This could also include athletes because we, we we had this, we had this question when we were developing this process, what Mm -hmm. do we do with the athlete? What do we do with the athlete? What are they? Mm -hmm. And craftsmen was perfect for people who did things with their body, their hands, tactile, all of that. Um, And I think that was the best way to describe it because Mm -hmm. I think society tends to downplay that which is done with our hands and our body, but it's, it's, it's equal. It's just the same as you and I were talking before the podcast started there's riches at the top of every niche, at the yeah. top of every skill level and expertise. There is so much financial opportunity and so much personal fulfillment available to somebody um, that is willing to tap into that. And so many of us too, when it comes to that natural advantage, because we're good at something, because mm-hmm. we have a natural inclination to something. And by the way, natural advantage is defined as the role that you tend to play. And we decipher that between you know, natural gifts. I actually, I'm not a big natural talent, natural gifts. We really don't like to, to use that phrase because I actually think that if you're a parent, I think one of the worst things you can tell your kid is that you have a natural talent in something because then they start to take it for granted and they don't work, they don't work at the craft. And, and because of that, most of us take for granted the talent or the advantage that we have mm-hmm. when everybody else can see it, we don't. So we are constantly jumping around other things in our life that we could do exploring other areas, other skill sets, because we're ignoring what's right in front of our face. Um, and, and society has, especially America, especially for this generation, millennials, Gen mm-hmm. Z is we have tended to downplay the role of those who are talented in, in their physical labor or their mm-hmm. athletic labor. Um, and, and I think that that's a a big, big mistake because, you know, I I've met so many people, for example, who would have been better off, you know, getting maybe an HVAC tech license and then starting an HVAC company. And how many people have we met that did that 30 years ago and they're running $50 million companies with van after van after van and building after building after building. Um, and so first of all, I think that's one of the first things I'd like to say is that the, um, craftsmen, the type of natural advantage that's reflected in the first part of your purpose is the one, one of the most underestimated uh, uh, types in terms of natural advantage. Yeah. Well, well Crafton's actually acquired skills. Craft, not so. craft, <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, yeah. I just mixed, I yeah. just mixed some stuff. Yeah. Natural but, but advantage. I think yeah. But, but I think it's really important though, because as a craftsman, so your, your acquired skills. I did jump to the second category. That's that First one, just to clarify, first one, natural advantage. And this is like, read the book. It's a great book. It's like, you know, six hours of this. And we're trying to fit this into 45 (laughs) minutes. Yeah, totally cool. First one, natural advantage. Second thing, acquired skills. We kind of married the two of them, but yes, we did. Yeah, but but very much to that point, though, why we talk about craftsmen under acquired skills is it's the ability that you've developed through education or experience. So what I get frustrated with is when people maybe have a dad or an uncle or stepdad who teaches them something. That's a skill that you've developed because you've essentially been an apprentice under somebody. And so it's not to downplay the experience and the expertise you've actually developed. 
Mm-hmm. And something that a lot of people have a hard time with is calling themselves an expert. So as I said earlier, there's those <laughs> two different like types. There's the experience, the experiential type expert, and then there's the empirical. And so mm-hmm. empirical is you studying something and experiences, you get in your hands dirty, you actually doing it yourself. Yeah. And so many people will actually hold themselves back from moving forward in their career because they don't have credentials on the wall or fancy letters behind their name or 22 years under their belt. Well, how are you going to get the 22 years under your belt unless you take that next step forward? And really all being an expert is, is saying, I know more about this than anybody else in the room. That's all that it is. I mean, and you call yourself an expert for the other person. Like if you're going into surgery and they're rolling you in and you're going under, you're talking to the doctor and he's like, I'm not really an expert. Not really here. an expert here, but right. I hope this goes well. Pretty good like, though. Yeah, pretty good. I'm proficient. Good. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you, you don't want a humble surgeon. You yeah. want someone who's saying, yes, I'm the best. Yeah. The same is true in your industry. No 100%. one wants someone who's going to say, I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. And so we don't feign arrogance. It's actually feigning humility to you, mm-hmm. for you to pretend like you're not good at what you're actually good at. If you can help people stand behind that and know that, you know, that you're better than anybody else at helping the people that you want to help. I mean, Dude. confidence. Confidence. Drop it a bomb right there. I hope everybody yes. listened. If you have to rewind and listen to it again, thank guys. Super important. Yeah, no, confidence is the cornerstone to even selling successfully. Okay. Yeah. Because like when you look at, for example, people, people ask us all the time, how do I price my services? How do I do that? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, one of the cornerstone elements of pricing is confidence. Yeah. I'm confident that I can deliver the outcome and I'm confident that I can ask for the price. Mm-hmm. Those two things right there are built upon confidence. Yeah. So when you say I'm not the expert, you've just undermined your confidence and your ability to deliver the outcome and your confidence in your ability to ask for the value, the price for what you do. Um, and and it doesn't huge. mean you have to be the top 1% expert, you know, in a room uh, or a conference of people who are experts. Right. But when it comes to that person to person, the person that just got their door dinged in a parking lot or just had, you know, backed into a post, you know, lightly. Um, but that, <laughs> so many stories. I'm like, but, are, you, are you pointing but, at <laughs> so like stories. he's side eyeing me right now. I have not done that. Man. Thank you very much. You did crack, you did crack a bumper one time. I did. You did crack a bumper. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so. can't fix that. Can't fix crack That's bumper with Dan. So right anyway. You know what's up, dude? You've been following me. You know, you got it, dude. Oh yeah. You know oh yeah. Up. Yes. Yes. And, no, but, but you should see me when we yeah. go to a parking lot, mm-hmm. I park next to no one. I, my car for, for three successive years has had no door dings. Okay. Yeah. He calls Zero. it outside the zone of laziness. Says, he has a perimeter. Says every customer that has ever called me for a dent repair. I park <laughs> in the, all the way in the very back. I, no, I they don't, don't know how. Most of them don't. I do though. I do. I make people walk. That's what I do. Yeah. Ryan, you let me know one day when you got your first dent and I'm going to be like, you parked yes. in the back. And then all it did was give a runway for the shopping cart. It just had 30. That's true. Um, That's right. So basically you don't have to be the expert of every dent guy you've ever talked to. We have a, a, a big conference, mobile tech expo. You don't have to be the best guy at the mobile tech expo. You have to be the expert to the person you're selling the dent repair to in their driveway. Right. That's who you need exactly. to be. Exactly. Amen to that. Number one, natural advantage. Number two, acquired skills. We got that. Us dent guys, now what? Now we're we're two out of four steps of figuring out our passion. Show me the way. Yeah. So the next is pull passion. So pull passion is the problem in the world that you want to solve. And we have a whole chapter dedicated to why we need to stop telling people to follow their passion. It is such crap advice. Because the problem with that is if you say follow your passion, we attach passion 
passion to happiness. Like, Hey, I had a bad day at work. This is, can't be my passion anymore. Or, Hey, you know, I don't like my commute. I'm not passionate anymore. I don't like my business partner, my coworkers, my clients fill in the blank, but passion really has everything to do with the types of problems you want to solve. And so that's why we call it pull passion. So I oftentimes ask people, what types of problems do you like solving? Do you like solving really big, complex, complicated issues? Like, you know, I want to make sure everybody's got access to clean water and fast, fast internet and, you know, electricity, or do you like solving small specific problems for a specific group of people? Just starting off with that right there is going to help you really hone in on the type of business you want to get into and the type of business you want to grow. Because some people feel pulled to franchise and make this giant Mm -hmm. behemoth type business because everybody's doing it. Well, that's the cost of comparison. But if you recognize, I actually find more fulfillment helping my community. I want to be the best dent guy or best dent girl in my community, in my neighborhood, in my county, in my, in my, uh, in my state. Yeah. I don't need to franchise internationally. And so you're going to find more fulfillment, even just in understanding the size of the type of impact that you want to have. Yeah, and I think... She, she brings up a really big point with passion. I, I have to talk about this. I mean, this is one of the biggest myth areas that we see related to the discovery of someone's purpose, which is, oh, I'm not passionate about it, or I'm pursuing my passion. Well, passion really becomes very, very emotional. And there's this mythical idea out there that when you get locked into your purpose or when you get locked into your passion, Mm -hmm. that you'll be in this magical flow state and never experience any resistance or challenges in your business or your life. And what's, what's fascinating is and I hear like people working say, from a beach somewhere. Oh yeah. And have multiple streams of income. Laptop millionaire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, sure. Let me show you what that looks like for real. Yeah. Um, I know. But uh, so when Taking it comes calls to in a U-Haul. All right. <laughs> well, no, that, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. So, but this idea of the flow state, you know, which is what most people mean when they say, find my passion, want to find out what I'm passionate about it. it you're, you're missing it because Every bit of your purpose and living it out in the marketplace will involve resistance. You will have to overcome and push through layer after layer. And oftentimes it's layers of your mindset that need to go uh, for new mindsets. But when people say, well, I'm not really feeling in my flow state, what happens is people jump from job to job, making a bunch Mm -hmm. of lateral job movements, because as soon as they met resistance in that job, an opportunity in which they could have, you know, increased their skill set, they left because it was hard or they had a bad boss or all of those things. And they were missing out on so much of their growth. And that's what happens when you lead into your entrepreneurship or you lead into your career emotionally driven by a false idea of flow state and passion instead of chasing something that's worth sacrifice that's worth the sacrifice worth the resistance you know that's actually the best test of your purpose if it's worth it to you will you sacrifice for it will you sacrifice your time your resources your attention will you get things out of your life so that you can focus on that that's the ultimate litmus test when it comes to somebody's pull passion. That's is, big. Will they sacrifice yeah. for it? Is it worth it to you? Will you will you attempt to fix that dent that you don't know if you can fix, even if you won't get paid? Because if you don't yeah. fix it right, you don't get paid. Are you willing yeah. to do that? Right? Are you in that direction? That's to bring it back to our. So I, I try really hard to sum things up and put yeah. into like a couple different sentences. I actually wrote these sentences down out of the seven hours or six hours of book I listened to, and you guys have said them here, and I think they're super important. The fulfillment and happiness thing, right? And so just to just to quote your book, purpose is what you have to help others, right? Fulfillment 
is a result of helping of the result of helping others with what you have. Right. And then that relates to the same thing with happiness. Happiness isn't about getting what you want, but giving what you have. So happiness and fulfillment are almost the same exact thing, right? Giving to others what you have to give. One, you have to identify what you have to give in the world by going through this, right? And if it is high quality dent repair in your market and being the best possible person you can be, people need that. People want that. It's a huge, it's a huge benefit to people, right? So I just wanted to sum, sum that up. And I pulled those quotes out of there and you guys have said them both in this podcast interview. So I'm like, obviously they're super important and I'm glad I picked up on them. One, we got natural advantage, then acquired skills, then your pull passion, and then you go to the origin story, right? With this, I thought was like super interesting and the part that I've really never heard much about. So if you could explain that, that'd be awesome. This is one of the most underestimated elements of somebody's purpose. This is also an individual's greatest competitive advantage. It really, really is. And here's what what I mean by that. For example, earlier on in our podcast, I told you about what happened to me as a child, my, my childhood trauma. Now, that is the moment in my life that most shaped my perspective. You know, unlike other people who have never been through something like that, although it's like one out of four, one out of three children were experienced something like that in at some point in their childhood. I know better than most what it means to not know who I am, not know my identity, not know my purpose. That is it. That is a competitive advantage for me to actually be able to sympathize and empathize with the people that I am helping people who don't know the answer to the purpose question, identity question, who I am question. And so it's my competitive advantage because I understand my audience better than the next guy who promises to find, you know, help you find your purpose. But the other thing too is the reason it's a competitive advantage, whether an entrepreneurship or your job, is because your origin story is a trust building mechanism. And to create transactions, you must have trust. Transactions come from trust and trust comes from vulnerability. And if you're vulnerable to people, it increases your trust with them faster and it increases the pace at which you can create transactions in the marketplace and afford yourself the opportunity to help that person. And so your origin story is the the moment or series of moments that most shaped your perspective, usually before the age of 20, 25 years old. Um, But that's what it is. And that's how you use it in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think it's really so powerful when individuals tap into their origin story to give context to why they do what they do. That's exactly, dude, that's, that's me. Like I read the book and I'm like that, like, I know that everybody that reads this book probably has that. They're like, oh, they labeled what I've been feeling. I just didn't have a word for it. Like I'm a rejection overcomer when you said the origin story and I know why too. And I'm like, dude, that's like why I do, like why I do what I do, like why Mm -hmm. I feel so fulfilled helping other people and having this podcast and coaching other people, because like, I love helping other people overcome the rejections that I overcame too. Like, I love that. Sorry to interrupt you. No, it's, I love that. I love that you identified with it. Yeah. I'm a rejection overcomer as well. And it helped me so much understand why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And the more you get clear about that moment rather than, so I was raised by an alcoholic dad and I had that challenge of, of, of growing up in a substance abuse home. But I remember that one time where I came home from tennis practice or something, I was really young. And he, he said something like, you know, I wish that there was a boy in the house or I wish you 
were a boy and yes. I'm nine years old. And that impacted me so much to the point where I didn't have the tools to process to say, certainly, you know, I'm sure mm -hmm. he loves me. And, you know, there, he was a loving, loving father, but there were these moments that shaped me. So then I started dressing really masculine. I started um, making sure I was number one on all of my sports mm -hmm. teams, top of the class. I became a super achiever to get that kind of love and respect because I didn't feel like I had that at home. I had to appear to be something that I wasn't. And that alone helped me so much. And what That's rejection great, yeah. overcomers really can do is they help other people feel welcome because they know what it feels like to not be enough. They seek out opportunities to mentor, to coach, to bring others alongside because they didn't have that kind of mentoring and coaching. And so even just being able to peel back the layers on why you do what you do, it not only is incredibly empowering, but it's also to really such as Brian said, it's your competitive advantage in the, in the marketplace, because when you can create that vulnerability with the customer, with your coworkers, with people in the community, people can start to recognize and resonate because why should they hire you next to somebody else? Mm -hmm. What's unique about you? What have you overcome? And that's oftentimes what I'll ask people is what have you overcome that you can help other people overcome? Cause that's where your authority is. That's where you can reach back and say, hey, follow this path that I, that I follow. I could be two steps ahead of yeah. you, but I'm still going to turn around and try and help you along the way. And it really helps to empower you and really start to bring the connection point to why you do what you do. When I told that story of the Fortune 500 company that was uh, that we started coaching um, because of um, our conversation with millennials, but turned into this thing about purpose because of Brian when I was hangry, we had heard from this young man who his origin story, he was in college, came home to his dorm room, walked into the dorm room, and his, his uh, roommate was about to commit suicide. So he ran over, took the gun out of this kid's mouth, helped his friend find meaning in life, helped him get a job. He's telling him this story with tears in his eyes, realizing for the first time, this is why I'm in HR. Cause I recognized yeah. that I know that if people have a job, they feel like they matter and they know that they're doing something that matters. And he had awesome. never made that connection in his life. Mm -hmm. And so just simple moments where you start to do the work to recognize why you do what you do. Reading this book isn't, isn't going to mean you're going to stop. You're going to quit your job. You're going to move to Bali. You're going to do an eat, pray, love year or whatever. <laughs> That's not the point of this book. The Damn point of, of, of this book, <laughs> I know, I know you want to be Julia Roberts, but the point of this book was really for us to be able to help people get context to their life, to recognize why do I do what I do? How do I replicate my most fulfilled days ever? And how do I know at the end of my life, I've done something that's made an impact? Dude, guys, I know this is, this is huge. Like I, and I've said this before on the podcast, I've been doing debt repair for 15 years. I do it. My dad, cause my dad did it. I actually left at one point to try to go find something else and ended up coming back to do this. Right. But I've never fully felt like my passion, my fulfillment isn't in doing dent repair. I just interviewed the guy right before you guys named Dave Shalata, Arizona. That is his passion. That is his, or he loves doing this. He loves doing that. And I don't really, I, 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 there's always been something missing until I started this coaching, mentoring, all that type of stuff. And now I really, I, now I realize, and like the reason I loved your book so much and why, why I wanted to have you on is because like you put words into those things that I just, I just felt, I realized like I would talk to people on the phone while I'm fixing debts and do all that and help them with their business. I'm like, God, I love that. Like, Oh, that's, I, I can't do that. I'm just, I just, I'm just a dent guy. Right. No one cares. But then like, once I started, like, like you said, how do you replicate those days that are happy? Right. 
because you read this book and you, and maybe it'll realize, make you realize that dent repair isn't your thing. Like it's not your full passion in life and your fulfillment, right? Seek that out and then maybe transition over time. Like you said, it's not going to be like sell everything, go to Belize. Is that what you said? <laughs> right. But you can start making that transition into something just like I am. I do. Everyone knows I do dent repair four days a week and I'm coaching one day a week. Will that change to more coaching? I sure as hell hope so. And I'm heading out that direction, right? Towards my passion and fulfillment but it's not an overnight thing. I'm not going to read the book and be like, done. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. I love that. You guys are, you guys are super cool. Um, how, so you've overcome all this stuff, millennial experiment, millennial experiment all the way to like releasing this book. How the, did you guys do all this by yourself or how important has it been to have mentors or coaches or people helping you along the way? And do you have any specific, you know, examples of someone who helped you like, I, I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm really not sure how to like organize it together. Let me hire this person yeah. to help me. Yeah. I mean, it, most, here's what, here's, here's what's wrong in most scenarios of somebody yeah. trying to start a business, grow their business, grow in their career is they have the right idea in terms of direction. Yeah. Somewhat, maybe a cloudy view of that. They need to sharpen the view of that. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes what they're missing is the proven process and steps to actually do it. In, in most cases, if not 99% of cases, in whatever niche you're in, there is somebody else who's done it successfully. Right. And it's better for you to model successful behavior than spend years of your life going through trial and error, trial and error, because it ends up being mostly error. So for us, you know, I mean, six and a half, seven years ago, I mean, I was working for one of my primary business mentors who ran a hundred million dollars speaking and live events company. So I was receiving direct mentorship from someone who had done what we do to the greatest degree possible in the United States and beyond this, this person was responsible for doing 40 cities a year in terms of motivational events. Can you tell us who it is? I want to know. Yeah, Tamara Lowe. Tamara Lowe was my primary business mentor. Um, She she helped run what was a very successful speaking live events company called Get Motivated Business Seminars. They were doing over 40 cities a year, over 10,000 people at their events easily. Um, And so that was one of my primary mentors. But we literally, just before we got on the podcast, we were just talking about somebody else that we invest in to improve our skill sets. Yeah. We are constantly investing to improve our skill sets. And here's what we're doing by doing that. Many people to figure out and develop an expertise in something on their own will churn for three, seven, 10, 15, 20 years to try to figure it out. And they may be successful at doing that. But if there's somebody that could shorten 15 years to two or 15 years to one or six months, I would much rather go with that. Most people, when it comes to investing, for example, in their mentorship or their coaching to get better, they think about the cost of doing it, but what they don't consider is the cost of not doing it. That's the more important question. How much is it going to cost you financially over the next year in lost financial opportunity to not do this? That's the better question than how much will this cost? It's actually not a cost question. It's an investment question Mm -hmm. because if you enroll in an experience or you, you know, buy some kind of mastermind group or something like that. It's an investment. It's like a stock purchase. It's like, you know, investing in a company. If you're willing to do the work and that person has already proven that their process works, duh, no brainer. If you'll do the work, you're going to get the investment back and then some. Yeah. Yeah. And the, that process that Brian's talking about, I mean, we're so passionate. I know you coach, we have a program called Purpose Mastery that we actually walk through with people, not only the discovery, but the application of purpose. Because we realized early on that you couldn't just discover purpose. If you only knew your purpose and didn't know what to do with it, mm. you'd be more frustrated than yeah. if you ever 
discovered yeah. it. You'd yep. just be kind of stuck spinning your wheels sure. even more, knowing where you wanted to go, but had no idea how to get there. And so why coaching is so important is because it's not just the accountability of walking alongside you. Mm-hmm. It's the plan and the path. And I made that mistake early on in my career. I had this uh, mentality, probably because I'm a millennial, of why wouldn't someone just want to mentor me? And so I sat kind of like like a princess in a castle waiting for someone yeah. to come alongside and mentor me. Yeah. And it didn't happen because the people who I wanted to mentor me, and by mentor me, I mean free mentorship, yeah. had businesses to run, had yep. families yeah, that they had to, to spend time yeah. with. They couldn't devote themselves to me the way that I wanted to. And so I missed out on the growth early on in my career I really would have benefited from mm-hmm. because I didn't understand that there are great people out there like you, like us, who created systems for people to shorten that gap. So instead of sitting on your couch complaining about how you don't know what to do next, why not take that next step, get clarity and spend more of your time executing than wondering what you could do or what you should do. It's really kind of a a no-brainer for folks. And so when you first make... It's a little difficult at first if you have It's a lot difficult at first. Before. It's, it's yeah, the deep. first the first investment in your mentorship is yeah. always the hardest. I, I heard, mean I've yeah. yep. I heard a coach I mean, for $15,000 a one-on-one yep. for a year. Yep. Going to change my life. I believed in him and his process and it was yep. and I knew I would make I would make the money back and then some. But it was yeah. so hard. I mean, I, to go work for my, my mentor, yeah. I, I, my payment was in the form of labor. There was yeah. no base salary. <laughs> I was doing full commission sales on self-help products that were yeah. a minimum of six grand to sell, yeah. which is very hard to move on a phone sale. And, yeah, and I remember I drove down to Florida in a busted Volkswagen Jetta with like a coffee machine and a suitcase in, and I didn't even know where I was this. living on the way down there yeah. to, to get my first mentorship. And mm-hmm. again, one of the one of the principles for success is that breakthrough requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Breakthrough requires sacrifice. It you cannot you cannot skip around sacrifice to get a breakthrough. You can't. You can't. It's like you know a lot of people, and and I think what best illustrate this principle is that a lot of people will buy like a piece of workout equipment on an infomercial mm-hmm. and yeah. never use it mm-hmm. because there's something that happens in the brain when you buy the piece of workout equipment. It, it gives you a dopamine hit because it represents the goal that you want. But the reason that it never happens is because you weren't willing to engage in the sacrifice to get the actual result. And so I actually think one of the best things that investing in your mentorship does is to show you and teach you that breakthrough requires sacrifice. When people <laughs> so break true. that off, when they break that off the first yeah. time, they're unleashed. I mean, we had a guy go through our experience last year. His name's CJ. I know I January. Like such good. Story. I don't. I don't know if you. Yeah, I've seen his story. So CJ yeah. was making 40, 50 k per year. Yeah. Uh, got laid off back in January. Started his apparel brand in March after going through our experience. His first month in business was fifty thousand yeah. dollars. So what if he had Crazy. never invested in his mentorship the first time last yeah. year? What yeah. if he had never done that? Mm-hmm. Seven hundred grand in sales since yeah. since last March. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I'm something my coach said to me when he first hired me that probably made me realize. And what I say to the clients when I hire was like, I'm going to ask you to do a lot of difficult things, things outside your comfort zones, things you're not comfortable with and all that stuff. And the first one is paying me this price. <laughs> that's what my coach said to me. And I'm like, fuck, you're right. Damn, that's really, that's true. It's true. Cause that's hard. I, I believe like, ask me a question. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. Then why aren't you giving the money? I don't know. I'm scared. That's why. You know, uh, I, I think the best mentorship, it, it has to disorient you. Yeah. It, it's, you, you don't it's want a mentor. Yet. You don't want a mentor who's just just a step ahead of you. Mm, yeah. You want a mentor that to step into their world yeah. would cause you to go, 
whoa, where am I? Never yeah. seen this before. Totally disorienting because that's what's going to stretch you. Yeah. For but sure. I think dude. also too, it's what you attach um, your investments to. People on Black Friday have no problem spending a couple thousand dollars on a television or yep. going and getting an RV, having fun with it. If it's something tangible, they think it's worth the investment. Mm-hmm. But if it's invisible, which actually turns into the tangible through your transformation, yeah. that's when they have a hard time with it. And so I think it's flipping your mentality around what an investment actually looks like and understanding that, you know, if you don't invest in yourself, then you're never going to advance. Yeah. In yourself, in your skill set, in your mindset, like that's the investment, right? That's what you're buying is that product for your brain. It's a book. Why would you have a a client invest in you if you're not willing to invest in yourself? Why would you say, pay me this money? I'm worth it if you're not willing to. But I don't need, but I don't need one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You need one, but I don't need one. (laughs) That's awesome, dude. I love it. That's like, you guys are, you guys are awesome. I hope you change the world with your, with your purpose. Um, Where can people find more about buying the book, uh, your coaching program, anything like that? Sure. Yeah. They can check out the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble. It's everywhere. You can go to purposefactorbook.com and they can learn more about us. Um, we've got a free training up about how to make a decision about what to do next at purposecompany.co, uh, purposecompany.co. And that's a really great way just to get to know more about us. There's a really, I love that training. I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful for folks yep. who just can't seem to get out of their own way. Can't seem to get momentum or traction again. And, uh, I think it'd be really great for your, your listeners to invest some 20 minutes of their time or so just to go a bit deeper on it. That's awesome. Thanks for coming on guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for Thanks, having man. us. Thank you for listening to another episode of the PDR Coach Podcast. If you got any value from this podcast and want to do something for me, then the best way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast and give me a rating and review. If you want to know more about me, then you can find me on Instagram by searching for the PDR Coach or find me on my website at coachcoryk.com, C-O-R-Y-K.com. Thank you for listening and I'll be back next week.